the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Weekday evenings on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. It's 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. Host Daryl Wood brings you the day's news and trending topics as only he can with a unique blend of conservative opinion, constitutionalism, and thought-provoking analysis. Join the conversation. 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. A daily look at the news in a way you won't hear anywhere else. Tune in to 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. Or stream at PatriotDetroit.com. You are in, in what part of the country? <laughs> Southwest Colorado. Wonderful. How are you picking us up? Oh, I stream you guys on my uh, iPhone every day. Fantastic. Um, I, I am a resident of Sterling Heights, but uh, I frequently come to Southwest Colorado. I am just thrilled to be hearing from you out there in Colorado. Continue to listen, tune in again, and call at your earliest convenience. Godspeed. Run to Win with Daryl Wood, Monday through Friday at 4 p.m. on Faith Talk Detroit. This is Next Steps for Seniors with your host, Wendy Jones. Each week, Wendy brings resources and information to help guide you through those next steps for your elderly parent or loved one. Now, here's Wendy Jones with this week's guest. Good morning and welcome to Next Steps for Seniors. I'm your host, Wendy Jones. And we are talking about conversations on aging. Each and every week, we do our best to bring you answers about tomorrow, but we do it today. And our topic this week is diving into dementia. And now when I say that, what I'm saying is we're going deep today. Everybody talks about dementia, like this high-level surfacing thing. Well, guess what? There is a lot to know about it. And we are here with two experts, really amazing women that are going to educate us, give us the knowledge we need to be better equipped for what the future holds and to embrace this time and not be fearful of it. So I want to introduce you to Joanna LaFeer. Good morning, Joanna. Good morning. And Joanna has a degree in recreational therapy with a focus on aging. She's worked in senior care for 10 years, started her own home care company and small six-bed memory um, homes, but now she is starting a foundation called Memory Lane Foundation. We are thankful to have her with us today. And we also have Erica Ansel. Good morning, Erica. Good morning, Wendy. Erica is the operations manager here at Next Steps for Seniors, the business. And we're very grateful for er- Erica's knowledge. She's worked in communities that are memory care for years and comes with a lot of expertise, firsthand experience, um, not just with personal loved ones, but professionally at uh, the community level. And when you work with loved ones every day is when you get this experience. And anyone tuning in right now is probably like, oh, I'm the expert too. But we're grateful for these two women because they've been through it. They understand it. They've been trained on it. And I do think it's a confusing topic. So first, we're going to cover like what the differences are in the different types of dementia. And our second segment, we're going to move into what we call sundowning. And if you've never heard the word sundown before, 
you need to listen to the second segment. So stay tuned. We're going to come up in our third segment with some answers to your questions and what you can do to help manage your situation currently with a loved one. So stay tuned. And our first question, Joanna, I'm going to ask you is to help explain the difference because there are a lot of words that get thrown out as mm-hmm. far as dementia goes, yep. Alzheimer's, dementia, Can you explain to our listeners the difference? Yep. So dementia is an umbrella diagnosis, similar to like a cancer diagnosis. So Alzheimer's is a form of dementia, but there's also many other forms of dementia. So we know Alzheimer's the most, but when we say the term Alzheimer's and dementia, it doesn't make sense because Alzheimer's is actually dementia. But dementia isn't necessarily Alzheimer's because it could be another type of dementia. So there are numerous types of dementia. Right. What would you say are the top most common? I'm going to I'm going to use that verbiage. So I would say one being Lewy body dementia. And Lewy body dementia looks so different than Alzheimer's because first of all it doesn't affect the memory as much and that's the thing I think is helpful to understand with dementia is it is a brain illness, not a memory illness, and not every type of dementia actually affects the short-term memory. Um, But with Lewy body dementia, they struggle a lot with hallucinations and delusions, and they have something called REM sleep disorder, which prevents them from getting into REM sleep, so they act out their dreams at nighttime, and they can be, it can be very dangerous um, not checking on them through the night. Um, One of the biggest things with Lewy body dementia is being able to understand how to deal with hallucinations and delusions, and kind of how to help them without arguing with them is a big thing. So I have a client right now, actually, that sees little bugs climbing walls. And obviously there aren't any. So is that what you're talking about when you say hallucinations? They're seeing things that aren't there. Seeing, smelling, tasting, sensing, or hearing things that are not there. It's a hallucination. And then a delusion is, you know, um, a false understanding of what's going on in the present. So thinking that someone is like, you know, a a friend from the past or um, thinking that, you know, someone's trying to kill trying them. Trying to rob or, you. Yeah. Or, yeah. Come mm-hmm. into your house yep. or take something from you, steal something yes. from you. Yeah. That's a delusion. Yeah. And then this is common in Louis body. Right. And it does happen in some of the other dementias. But yeah, with that, I do like a three-step process for how to handle hallucinations and delusions, which we can talk about. We are going to talk okay. about that in the second segment. But so what are some of the other common dimensions you see so besides an, Lewy body? Another one that's very common that is often misdiagnosed is frontotemporal dementia. And frontotemporal dementia affects the frontal lobe and the temporal region. So the frontal lobe being, um, they can be very impulsive. They can tend to be pretty physically aggressive and the temporal lobe being the communication place. So they have a difficult time with verbally communicating and receiving verbal communication. Let me ask you this. Is it different for men and women? Nope. It's it's very... The frontotemporal dementia has the same tech characteristics in both men and women. Okay. Okay. Interesting. What other common dementias? Um, so a couple... Another one being vascular dementia. And vascular dementia looks very different than Alzheimer's and also is not often diagnosed because it doesn't affect the memory right away and they really do maintain their short-term memory. But for people with vascular dementia, you know, the fibbing doesn't work for them because they're going to call you out on it every time. But what they really need is when you're providing care or assisting them with a task that you're very, very slow. And I mean, your slow is not going to be their slow. So I mean, take it down slower than that and really explain about what you're doing and how you're doing and why you're doing it. Otherwise, you're going to get a difficult 
difficult reaction. And also they struggle a lot with just making poor decisions, which is pretty common with all the dementias, but you can see it a lot with vascular dementia. So when you say for vascular, just so I understand... When you say slow, their processing isn't as quick as it used to be. So right. when you break something down, you have to break it down like, I need you to go through the front door, not the back door. So yeah. you're going to walk up the sidewalk, and then you're going to go in the front door. Like you say it a yeah. couple times. But you would say, I'm going to have you walk up the sidewalk. And then once they start walking up the sidewalk. Then you say, you're going to, okay. Then you would say, now you're going to walk to that door. And I could see how that would be misdiagnosed. Right. Absolutely. So it's often misdiagnosed. And one other thing is, you know, they're misdiagnosed and sometimes they get tangled up with frontal temporal lobe dementia as well. Because even though there's some similarities, there's some differences. But explaining down to the T, I always use the the um, socks. Okay, I'm going to take your socks off. Can you hand me your right foot? Okay, I'm going to take off your sock. Can you lift up your left foot? Let's take off that one and go step by step and make sure they know where you're going to touch so that way you don't have that poor reaction because communication is the key even with somebody with different types of dementia. If you don't communicate step by step, it's going to cause a difficult reaction. So this is so fascinating to me. I really feel like we need to start from the beginning stages and then move into the... Because moving into the deep stages, right? So the beginning stages... The first thing you're going to notice with vascular is their processing is slower. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think with people with vascular dementia, it depends because it's caused by strokes. And so oh. it depends where the stroke is located in the brain as to what is affected the most. Mm-hmm. But what we, we know the most about Alzheimer's. That's why Alzheimer's, people are often misdiagnosed with Alzheimer's when they really have another type of dementia. Um, and simply just because we're not doing the brain testing and families don't even know that there's different types of dementia, so they don't know to ask. They don't know to ask. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's talk about Alzheimer's. Yeah, so Alzheimer's, early stages Alzheimer's, you're going to notice like a little bit of forgetfulness, repetition, kind of forgetting to pay bills, um, losing things, but then not being able to retrace their steps to find them. Um, this is where you start later, a little bit later, then you start to see people forgetting to take meds or getting in the car and forgetting where to go or getting somewhere in the car and not being able to go, not knowing how to get back, um, those kind of things. And then as you develop later in the disease, you start to have incontinence issues, you know, difficulty controlling bladder and bowels, right. start to have aphasia, difficulty with communicating. And I think it's important, and Erica, I know you're familiar with this, I think it's important to communicate throughout the process what the next steps are that they're going to see. Because when you have an initial diagnosis, you're just forgetting your keys and not knowing where you are, you know, little things, right? Well, and it gets confusing too, because there's something called general forgetfulness, which is where the beginning stages may start. And some people don't move through that general forgetfulness. And as they're moving through the stages, and maybe they put popcorn on for 70 minutes instead of seven. Perfect you example. Know, or they put the ice cream in the plates in the cupboard, and then they have a mess, and they don't remember how to clean up that mess. Exactly. Um, One of the other things, MCI, Mm -hmm. mild cognitive Cognitive. impairment. Mm -hmm. I'd love both of your opinions on the definition of that. Typically, I see MCI as a pre-Alzheimer's diagnosis or a pre-dementia diagnosis. So typically, I see people that are starting to have a little bit of memory loss and that kind of stuff, and it can develop into like a full-blown dementia 
And that would be post that, um, after that general forgetfulness stage is where that yep. MCI diagnosis would be. You know, we all forget things. We all have a lot in our, in our filing cabinets in our brains, but that mild cognitive impairment is going to go just one step further than that general forgetfulness. Well, and, and the reason I bring MCI up, I, I think it's important, listeners, that you look at your medical records and you ask your doctors, you know, they might be diagnosing you with MCI and you don't even know what it means. Yeah. You know, yeah. so these are the things we're, we're, we want to educate and, and give you information on because there is a possibility you may never pass MCI. You might just stay right there the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. But there's also a possibility it could develop into yeah. some type of a dementia. And that is why we are here today with these two experts because it's common. Mm-hmm. This is a very common diagnosis. Yeah, one in three people over the age of 80 have a diagnosis of dementia, a form of dementia. So And... Newsflash, we're going to have more people over the age of 80 in the next coming years because of our baby boomer generation aging out. So this is an important thing to discuss, to talk about. You're listening to The Patriot, FM 101.5, AM 1400. We'll be back in just a moment to have more conversations on aging. This is Wendy Jones, and you're listening to The Patriot, FM 101.5, AM 1400. Welcome back to Next Steps for Seniors, Conversations on Aging. Our topic today is diving into dementia, and we are going deep. That's what we're doing on this program. We are sharing the if, ands, and buts, and you are here to be educated, and we're grateful for our two uh, amazing women in the studio this morning. So, Joanna, in the beginning, you talked about some of the most common dementias. Mm-hmm. What I'd like to do is, I know there's a couple more, mm-hmm. Let's let's continue that conversation on what are some of the other most common dementias. And I know Erica is going to add some yeah. input on that as well. So one being Parkinson's, later in the illness of Parkinson's, they develop Lewy body symptoms. So Lewy body and Parkinson's are in a different part of the brain. So that's why it's kind of flipped for one and flipped for the other. Um, but they do experience the same things at the end of the illness. And then also Huntington's disease is also a form of dementia, which people aren't familiar with. And that is also one that does not really affect the short-term memory, especially not in the beginning. They have a lot of confusion. Um, they have a lot of uh, difficulty making good decisions and they have a lot, they struggle a lot with depression is a big one for Huntington's. Um, and then the last one is, is Wernicke-Korsakoff syndrome or alcohol-induced dementia. Um, which I like to explain is kind of like Dory on um, Finding, Finding Nemo, Nemo, which is like that, you know, hi, how are you? And like really social, really want to be engaged and fun, but like re- on repeat every few minutes. Um, so it often, it, they definitely repeat themselves, but there's also a couple of really other portions. Their gait tends to be more shuffled. Their feet, When they're walking. When they're walking, yeah. So their feet are a lot closer together. They're walking in the fronts of their feet instead of their whole foot. You might find that somebody who may have a diagnosis, also um, pre-diagnosis, may be getting into some minor car crashes. And we're talking they may hit the curb mm-hmm. more frequently. They may hit other cars with their door because that perception is off because of where the alcohol is affecting in their brain and where that dementia hits those sensors with perception. Mm-hmm. 
And is that common in the other dementias as well, or mostly in the alcohol-induced dementia? So it's fairly common in most dementias, but I think it's definitely more noticeable in Wernicke-Korsakoff's or alcohol-induced dementia just because it happens a little bit earlier in life because we might not see those minor car crashes with somebody who's 84 Mm -hmm. who gets diagnosed with dementia versus somebody who's in their 60s or early 70s when they're diagnosed with the alcohol-induced dementia. So I really think it's important to share that at our office, we have been receiving numerous calls. Now, it has been heightened, I would say, Erica, in the last six months to a year, don't you think? Yeah, probably 12 months to 18 months, probably, I would stretch Than it. ever before. Absolutely. This alcohol-induced uh, dementia. And, you know, I'm just going to go out on the limb and give you my opinion. But I feel like over COVID, there were so many people trying to manage a situation that was unmanageable that many may have turned to alcohol. Mm-hmm. And it's alarming, number one, and we're here to educate you. But, you know, some research that I've done, if you're having 10 drinks a week, you're considered a heavy drinker. And that's concerning. When you repeatedly have alcohol consistently, this can be you in the future. You start having problems with gait, um, like Erica mentioned. And before you know it, you're not remembering things because mm-hmm. it does destroy your brain. Absolutely. Absolutely. So just keep in mind that if you think that you may have a problem, please reach out to obviously Next Steps for Seniors, but you can reach out to any number of um, Alcoholics Anonymous and things like that There's to answers. learn a little bit more information. There are answers to this problem. Exactly. Okay. So I want to talk through some of the common verbiage, like the words that the jargon I'm going to say that people sometimes here and they have no idea what it means. Mm -hmm. So what about sundowning? That's a big word. When you heard the word sun, oh, your parent is sundowning. Yes. Explain to our listeners exactly what that means when they hear that. Yeah, it's a very overused and misunderstood term. But basically the way I like to explain it is it's kind of like the person with dementia is holding a bowl of marbles. And every everything that they do takes a marble. And I mean like sitting up in bed takes a marble. Getting out of bed takes a marble. Getting ridden, you know, driven in the wheelchair to the bathroom is one. And then every step there is one. Eating is one. Activities are one. They're all one. And so towards the end of their day, depending on what time they're getting up and all the things that they're doing, they simply have less marbles towards the end of the day. And it would be like as if you woke up at 6 a.m. to work out, then you went to work, then you had class, then you came home and did dinner for the kids and someone said, okay, Joanna, let's go take your shower now. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm going to sleep in my clothes. Like this is like not happening, right? So uh, overall, people with dementia, they just have less physical and mental and emotional abilities later in the day. And that can start as early as like 2 or 3 p.m. I've seen it and then right to bedtime. So it's essentially, and people will be like, oh, you need to like switch the curtains or make it darker light. It has nothing to do with that. The only thing that we can do to help someone with sundowning is give them more grace and be more patient with them and just understanding that their abilities are going to change as the day progresses. Sometimes people can, you know, feed themselves in the morning and need assistance with feeding at nighttime. Sometimes people are walking in the morning and they need a wheelchair in the evening time. Sometimes people are pretty mellow, you know, throughout the day, but then start asking to go home and asking and getting more agitated and getting more frustrated and that kind of stuff. And that's kind of what you're seeing with sundowning. 
And this is where activities tends to help a little bit more, but also really taking a look at where and when your parent or loved one is getting up in the day. Mm -hmm. And if you can kind of help shift some of those times, maybe their sundowning is happening earlier and earlier, one, two o'clock in the afternoon, but they went to bed the night before at seven. So we really have to try to manage with activities um, and abilities, you know, trying to do more of that morning mind benders and having good conversations in the morning and maybe more social activities in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. So that way at eight or nine o'clock, we're going to bed instead of five or six o'clock as well, which definitely helps manage a little bit of sundowning, but it's just, it's so hard Mm -hmm. for somebody who has dementia to start sundowning so early in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. Now there are medications you can take. um, And I have heard this repeatedly. The the average is usually around 5 or 6 p.m., like you should start taking a medication for sundowning. And my expertise from some of the people that I know say start it way earlier. So like 3, 3.30 is a better time. So if you are seeing this in your loved one repeatedly as the evenings get close, mm-hmm. I just encourage you to consult a physician, do have some conversations with these two experts, but maybe start that medication a little sooner yeah. so that you're not hitting the wall and then it's working, right? Yeah, right we, yeah. we, all need it. we all know it takes time. Right. So two or three is probably is usually a good time to take it is what we used to do. Okay. And yeah. it depends on, again, what time they get they went to bed. So. And it's common to be told by um, the medical professionals to do it around 5 p.m. So that's why I'm kind of sharing this with you. I think it's important to do your due diligence and your research. We are our best advocate for our loved ones. For sure. And you're there every day and you're watching what's happening to your loved one. So if you want to try something to see if it works, I say it's probably worth a shot if Mm -hmm. you're struggling getting through the day. One of the most important things to advocate for you and your loved one is writing a journal. Keeping the journal of, hey, this is what mom and dad are doing at 2.30, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, but write down what they did previous to that, what time they woke up, what time they ate. So that way, when you're going back to the doctor to talk about medication management and what type of meds that they're on, having that that force and that, that hard proof of this is when it's starting and this is when we may have some behaviors, dad's getting loud, mom's getting very weepy and cry, it's at four o'clock, but you told me I can't take this med until five, I want to give it at three. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would say if people are looking for physicians that are are educated in dementia, which we should be looking for, not every physician is educated in dementia. So we should be looking for like a neurologist or a geriatric physician that has experience because they're going to be able to give you the best advice and information that's actually accurate. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I think that is really important. I also wanted to add, I do feel like because you're advocating for your loved one, I want to just focus on you for a minute. Because the caregiver is very important to stay healthy, mm-hmm. to stay focused, to have some downtime, yeah. to be in a support group. Yeah. Definitely. What are some of the things that you're recommending? Yeah. I mean, I think it's important to, I mean, it's it's a hard balance, right? Because we're always saying like, you have to take care of yourself to take care of others, but then you're living 24-7 with someone with dementia that's not sleeping. So what do you do, right? So I think it is important to accept help. That's a huge thing. You're not failing when you accept help. You're doing the best thing for your loved one at the time, right? And there's a lot of different options now. There is, there's home care for a couple hours a week. There's, you know, 
um, sending them to an adult day program for a short, for a couple of days a week. And then, you know, then there's, you know, moving them into facilities, but there's also help at home that you can use. I think, you know, there's, there's support groups that are online now, which is helpful if you're caring for someone at home. Um, and I think just talking to people, researching, um, you know, looking at, like, I have a ton of videos that I do on training. Um, looking up the free resources is good too. So we're going to share, get your pen and paper ready, all of the resources that Joanna has available to you in the next segment. In addition, share, I'm going to have Erica share some other solutions to some of those um, concerns that you might be having with your loved one, because there are different stages and you can manage a lot at home, but I truly am a proponent of at some point you need to transition your loved one out of your home in when it's just not safe anymore. And everyone wants to stay home. And I know this, but I've got a story I'm going to share in the next segment that will just break your heart. And I feel like we need to be aware of this. Mm -hmm. So we know what the future holds. Again, you're listening to the Patriot FM 101.5 AM 1400. We'll be back in just a few moments to continue our conversations on aging. This is Wendy Jones, and you're listening to The Patriot, FM 101.5, AM 1400. Welcome back to Next Steps for Seniors, Conversations on Aging, where we answer your questions about tomorrow, today. And our topic today is diving into dementia. I mentioned in the last segment that I was going to share a story with you, and I think it's important to hear because this is the level it can get to if you don't do something sooner rather than later. I had a woman call my office and she was in tears and she heard about us from the podcast. And she said, Wendy, I need to talk to you. I am sleeping on the floor in front of the door in our bedroom. So my husband doesn't get out at night and leave the house. I was like, what? She's like, I'm so nervous that he is going to, because it's sundowning. Mm -hmm. They get up in the middle of the night and they start walking around and she didn't know how to keep him in the house. He's a big man mm -hmm. and she's a little woman and she's elderly. Mm -hmm. So what did she do? She closed the door and literally slept in front of it so that she could sleep. Yeah. Otherwise she's not getting sleep. Oh. And this... This right here is a real story. Now, we were able to help her. We got husband into a safe place. And it was, I mean, it was a complete miracle. We actually celebrated his birthday not too long ago. But this is why we do what we do at Next Steps for Seniors. This is why I started the company, because we want to help you. But we want to share these stories on this, on this venue right now, because we don't want you to be in that same situation. We want to help you resolve your issues before you get to that. And that's why I'm going to turn it over to Erica to share some of those solutions. And Joanna touched on them last segment about, you know, adult day centers. But there's another process that I want Erica to share with us when it comes to loved ones. Absolutely, Wendy. So there's a lot of different solutions that are available to families, especially um, now here in 2023 versus maybe 2002. So um, one of those is obviously the adult day centers where your loved one can go for just a few hours a day. So that way you have a little bit of respite time so you can go get your haircut and you can get a little bit of sleep and catch up on your grocery shopping. But what that's going to help provide them for is to have a structured day every day. So that way they're having a little bit better of an evening. The next we can talk about is 
Joanna had mentioned home care, having somebody come into your home just a few hours a week, a couple of hours a day. It really just depends on what your needs are. But having a home care company that's private duty, it's private pay, come in and sit with your with your loved one, with your spouse, with your grandparents, with your mom and dad, and help provide a little bit more of that respite. Those are just solutions that you're able to help catch up on the rest that you need and be able to continue. So that way you're feeding yourself because you have to take care of yourself as a caregiver. Mm -hmm. The last resort, a lot of our families really are worried about is that community living. So we have a lot of different options now that are just amazing. When we're looking at community living, adult foster cares, which are your smaller five to 10 bed home that are able to really focus on Alzheimer's, dementia, different types of dementia. We have memory care communities that provide an extra level of safety who, going back to Wendy's story at the beginning, is just so important. You have a spouse who's walking and getting up at night and walking through the house, attempting to leave the home because we're delusional. We're having hallucinations that somebody may be chasing them. Having a secured community at a memory care center that is specific for memory impairment is just so important. Now, these memory care centers are 100% secure, and they are designed specifically for memory loss, dementia, and cognitive decline. They're often one story or one floor. There's typically anywhere between 20 and 30 people in most memory care communities, and they offer a ton of different types of activities every day. And what they're going to do is they're going to mimic the same day every day. Now, memory care is a taboo word, right? So we talk about memory care being assisted living. It truly is the same thing as assisted living. Their programming is markedly different. So when we're looking at a memory care community, we truly are looking for the same type of activities at the same day, same time every day. So if they're going to do morning mind benders in the morning, they're going to do social activities in the afternoon. They're going to sit down and watch Jeopardy at 730 at night, every night, just like you and your loved one did at home. Keeping a consistent schedule is really, really critical. Absolutely. So without that schedule, it really does make a little bit of a difference. So in going back, um, Joanna, we talked a little bit about medications and how that can help, but there's a test that we can take, correct? Mm -hmm. Yep. It's the, there's a gene site testing test. And basically what it does is it kind of goes through what psych meds will work best for different people and, and what's going on in their body. So that's a good thing to utilize to be able to understand the meds that would work best for your loved one. Um, because there are some meds that are prescribed that can actually make things worse, not better too. So, and sometimes we're often, you know, our doctors don't know what type of dementia we have, right? So the gene site testing actually goes down to a metabolic level and it is covered almost at a hundred percent by Medicare. So if you're going to the right doctor and tell them, I'm looking for the gene site test. We have tried several different depression medications. We've tried a couple of those major big pharma medications and they're not the right one. Can we do the gene site testing? Yeah. And there's actually physicians that will do it in home as well. Yes. I think this is very important. I wanted to just kind of switch gears for a second and bring us back to in the beginning, the first segment you talked about 
there was a three-step process that yeah, we should know hallucinations and yes. delusions. Please share that. Yeah. So I think the thing about hallucinations and delusions is that it kind of throws you off, right? It's going to be like a random, like, oh my God, there's kids in here. And why are these kids in here? And oh my God, I can't, I need to get them out of here. Right. And it's, it's like, whoa, where's the kids? Right. So our first kind of response, we want to say things like that didn't really happen or there are no kids there. Right. And we're never going to win an argument with someone with dementia because they don't have the capacity to reason anymore. So the best thing to do the three-step process, first thing is repeat back what they said in a question form. So that really takes no thought process because you're just saying what they said. So if I have someone that says, oh my God, there's kids over there. Look at those kids. I'm going to say, there's kids over there. And then my next thing is I kind of want to, I want to know, is it a bad hallucination or delusion or is it a good one? Is it an upsetting one? Um, so if she's saying if, so then I want to ask a couple probing questions. So I want to say something like, are the kids nice? And you want to try to do a yes or no question because it's going to be easier for them to communicate. Um, are the children nice? Are they happy? You know, and if, and then if they're saying, no, they're not supposed to be here. They're supposed to be at home. And this is actually a real story that happened with a, with one of our residents who owned a daycare and every night she would sundown and immediately be like, oh my God, there's all these kids in here and they should be home and their moms are going to be so mad at me. And, um, and, and, and forever and ever people are like, no, there's no kids. No, there's no kids. And she would just be super upset. So first step is to repeat back the question, the, the same phrase in question form. Second one is to ask the probing questions to find out is it a good one or a bad one now if it's a good one if they said look at those kids over there aren't they so cute oh my god I just love them so much then you're literally just going to be like an actor with them you're going to be doing some improv and you're going to be like yes they are so cute and I love kids and I have a 12 year old and whatever you know to talk to them about that and then um but if it isn't, then you're going to go to sit to step three. You don't need to go to step three if it's not negative. But when it's negative, you need to go to three and you need to introduce an outside stimulus. So first you, but first you want to fix their problem. So I would say, um, Hey, Wendy, you know, Wendy's super good with kids and she's, you know, she's, she's got all these mom's numbers. And so she, I'm going to have her take care of the kids. And Wendy would be like, yep, I'll see you later. I'm going to go take care of the kids. And then I would say, you know what? I have dinner cooking in the other room. Would you like to come? I need some assistance with it. So I'm, I'm giving, yeah, but I'm doing it, fixing the problem first, yep. then diverting to something that they would, whatever works for them, right? Um, and that's how you can um, successfully handle a hallucination or a delusion. Okay, that is phenomenal information. And at this point, I would love you to share your phone number because everyone's like, I need to write her down. I need to know how to get in touch with her. And you have a training coming up. I do. Yep. So my phone number is 734-709-9960. And I am launching. So I um, had my own company for 10 years and I created a dementia training and I've been putting people through it for 10 years. And um, it's I'm going to be launching it online on, on Teacher. Um, it's going to be on my website, which is coming up in just a couple weeks. And um, it's going to, the training is a five hour training um, broken up into eight sections and with a test at the end to be able to get certified. And it's only going to be $99 a person. So it can be very accessible for anyone who wants to take it. So in the interim, you can call her to register for the training. Again, that number is 734 734- Seven zero nine 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 six zero, and I think that is and you can take it anywhere wherever yep, you anywhere. are all yep. over the over the Just United online. States because it's going to be online. And I do feel like, and I know you ladies agree with me, 
Knowledge is power, Mm -hmm. right? We need to be informed. We need to educate ourselves. Listening to this program is phenomenal information. Taking a class is another one. But seek information from the people who know. And that's what we're encouraging you to do. You're listening to The Patriot, FM 101.5, AM 1400, answering your questions about tomorrow, today. We will continue the conversation on aging in just a few moments. This is Wendy Jones, and you're listening to The Patriot, FM 101.5, AM 1400. Welcome back to Next Steps for Seniors, answering your questions about today answering your questions about tomorrow today. That's Mm -hmm. funny. We're going to start that over. This is Wendy Jones, and you're listening to The Patriot, FM 101.5, AM 1400. Welcome back to Next Steps for Seniors, answering your questions about tomorrow today. We're going to continue our conversation on aging uh, and our topic, diving into dementia, today here with Joanna and Erica. And what a blessing you both have been to us. We're learning so much. I wanted to focus on this segment being an ask for help, like a help segment. So one of the things I'd like to to start with is how to approach someone with dementia. There is specific things you can do that will be helpful. Absolutely, Wendy. So some of the ways to approach somebody who has dementia is to come at them, you know, when you're approaching them, approach them from the front. And don't start talking to them while if they're sitting in a chair, get down to their level and connect with them face to face, connect with them with your eyes and talk with a smile. If you don't talk with a smile and you talk just very low and you don't really know, they're going to be more on the defensive. So having some of those nonverbal cues with your body, having your, your shoulders opened up wide, you don't have your arms crossed and you're down on somebody's level and say, Hey Mary, how's it going today? And if you're, if you're talking with a smile, you're much more apt to get a really good response back because remember your mood will set the mood of the person person in front of you. So, and if you're going to approach somebody from the back, you know, you can do a a small touch on their shoulder, but as you're passing towards their front, so they see that you're moving in front of them because you don't want to startle somebody with dementia from the back because we don't want them to have a physical reaction Mm -hmm. and hit somebody and and cause harm to themselves or to somebody else. So just remember, we want to get down on their level. We want to talk face to face and we want to make sure that we're talking in clearly in a bright way with a smile on our face. And then we also want to make sure that when we're communicating with them, we're talking um, and we're, we're using the closed-ended questions versus open-ended questions. So saying something like, oh, what's your favorite food is difficult for them to answer. But saying, do you like spaghetti or steak better or do you like spaghetti, yes or no, is a great way to communicate and be able to actually have a successful conversation. Absolutely. And then asking them, maybe reflecting if they're still communicating really well, reflecting on what they did for a living in mm-hmm. the years that they often talk about. Ask them what they did for a living. Ask them what they ate for lunch. Anything in the long-term memory is a good thing to communicate with because they lose that last. I feel like there are some cueing questions, like you me- like you both mentioned, yes or no questions, mm-hmm. like things that we can really engage because think of just everything being simplified mm-hmm. and not complicated because things become so overwhelming that we need to make it simple, yep. right? 
And that's what's really the most important. So I wanted to also ask the question about verbal versus nonverbal social cues for people with dementia. So some of the verbal cues that you can use talking to somebody with dementia is is using their name, right? Mm -hmm. So we don't call them honey or sweetheart. Larry will always be Larry. If Larry was a teacher, maybe he's Larry Smith or Mr. Smith. You want to approach them as if they're they are an adult because they are an adult. We want to treat them with respect and we want to we want to protect their dignity and make sure that they're doing really well. So we want to use their name or salutations that they went by previously, right? So I know my dad would be Mr. Dunn. It wouldn't be his first name. He wants to be called Mr. Mm-hmm. We've had people that, you know, were professors in the past and they were professor so-and-so, or we had someone that was a pastor and he's pastor so-and-so. Um, so yeah, communicating them in the, the, the name that they prefer is so key. Absolutely. And, and meeting where them where they're at, mm-hmm. you know, in verbal cues, if they think that they're in their 50s, and they're still working, you're going to have cues about well, what are we working on today? Mm-hmm. I need your help. I know that you're off today, asking them for that help. I need your help. I have the perfect thing for you, right? Mm hmm. So I want to share one more story, because I think this is important as, um, as you're living with someone with dementia, And I think being aware of every single circumstance is sometimes challenging. Sure. But the things that we decrease first are, you know, cooking, for Mm -hmm. example, for women like to be in the kitchen. So have them do something like the dishes versus actually working the microwave or the stove. Mm -hmm. So I had a client whose mother is a phenomenal cook and she loved to bake cookies. Mm -hmm. And of course, she baked cookies and she um, also was, you know, doing different things around the around the kitchen. And what ended up happening is one of the burners she had left on, she was warming up butter or something. And her towel ended up touching the burner. And believe it or not, when that fire started, she panicked because she knew that it was dangerous. And she knew fire meant get out because she has dementia, Mm -hmm. right? And but it wasn't, you know, really far along, but it was an it was a mistake. Yeah. Thank goodness she was okay, but the entire house burnt down. Oh wow. Now, I'm telling you that story for two reasons. Number one, if you have a loved one that has enough memory loss that they shouldn't be cooking, please go around the back and unplug your stove. Mm-hmm. You just are eliminating things that can happen. Yeah. So this is a true story. We don't want them to be safe, but we don't want to move them out of their home just because they can't cook. Right. Right. So we need to be thinking about what can I do in the bigger picture so that my loved one can still do this activity, but you know, not burn the house down. Clearly. Right. Yeah. So I think it's important when people are in that early stage dementia, they seem like they can do so much, but they can't always, right? So we need to kind of, you know, manage that. And what will they do if there was a, you know, fire or an emergency situation too? Well, absolutely. And remember also that they mask a little bit. They absolutely do. So they mask they mask quite a bit to their families and you don't know that they've paid maybe their Comcast bill a couple of times. Basically, over. The, they're kind of covering for themselves is the thing. And especially if people are highly intelligent, they can do that very easily because they will practice the questions that they know you or the doctor is going to answer until they can answer them. And they'll direct the questions back to what their safe their safe subjects are. Oh, well, you just talked about Johnny's new girlfriend, but I don't want to talk about Johnny's new girlfriend. Let's talk about my car. My car is making a noise. 
You know, that's some that's something that often happens with somebody who's masking. Is there something wrong with their home? You know, they they don't understand a bill, and then they just go back to those safe subjects. So I haven't heard the word masking before, and I'm sure our listeners are thinking the same thing, but you're bringing up some great points because these are all signs and symptoms that we all need to be aware of that yeah. we could be missing right now. And if you're not living with your person with dementia, there's no telling what they're doing. So, you know, using cameras in the beginning is a, is a good thing. You can easily get Nest cameras from Amazon that you can use from your phone. You can watch them to see what they're doing. Um, and know. a way to do that, a way to do that that's inconspicuous, mom and dad, you know what? There's so much going in the world today. I decided to give you a security system. Yep, absolutely. Okay? So you're inputting the security system yep. and you have it now on your cell phone. So mm-hmm. now you're paying attention, right? Yeah. So there's different things we can do. I think the guardian alarm button is really good. When you they're need in to do the one that will automatically alarm, though, because they're not going to press it. So Correct. you need to do the one that if they fall, even on the new iPhone, it has that. If they fall, it'll call you. And uh, the Apple Watches have that yeah. as well. So this, these are these are just tools. This mm-hmm. is information that you can use to better live your life and embrace this time and enjoy the moments that you can have because there are many of those. We don't have to look at it as a doom and gloom situation. Absolutely. And when you have the proper cameras and if you have the proper transportation, for example, driving's a huge one. Mm-hmm. Nobody should be driving with dementia. If they don't know where they're going, they should not be driving at all. I had a senior who, just kept looking at the phone at, with the map in the oh, car. No. So never looked out to see the signs, just looked at the Apple phone in the car. And I was like, oh, oh what are we looking at right now? So this is a problem, yeah, right? If is. you can't see and you don't know which way you're turning and you don't know direction, this little phone is not going to help you. Mm-hmm. So let's just be aware. And I just want to encourage in closing, and then we're going to give your information again, Joanna, please spend some quality time. Stopping in for an hour while mom is sitting or dad is sitting at the kitchen table and that you didn't see them get up. You didn't see them do any of the daily tasks, right? You know, there's ADLs, activities of daily living that they're doing every day. But when you just stop in for, you know, 20 minutes or an hour and you just see them sitting at the table, you're not seeing enough to know if they are exhibiting signs and symptoms. Absolutely, yeah. I think it's just really important. Quality time is probably the number one most important thing. And we all think we don't have a lot of it. But guess what? When it comes to our family and our loved ones, what you don't want is regret. Mm -hmm. So spend that time. Pick up the phone. Every morning, you can call your mom or your dad. It takes 10 or 15 minutes. And then you can visit them and sit down and spend quality time with them. Uh, So I want to share your phone number again, Joanna, and talk about your training one more time. We've got about 30 seconds left. So my number again is 734-709-9960, and the online training is coming out in just a couple of weeks. Also, I do have a foundation that I'm working on right now. It's called Memory Lane Foundation. And the three things I notice that people need the most in dementia care is more education, grief counseling through the process while the person is still with us, and also... Um, financial resources for families to be able to provide like respite stays or home care or thing like that when people can't afford it. Excellent. Well, we appreciate both of you. Thank you for being here. We appreciate you listeners answering your questions about tomorrow today. You're listening to The Patriot FM 101.5 AM 1400.
You've been listening to this week's edition of Next Steps for Seniors with your host, Wendy Jones. You can reach Wendy with any questions you have at area 248-651-5010. That's 248-651-5010. Join us again next week as Wendy provides more information and resources for those important next steps for your elderly parent or loved one. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.